Chapter 21 We Have Seen His Glory The meditations that we have been making on the mystery of Jesus have allowed us to disengage ourselves from this world of contingencies and lift up our minds to that world which lasts. As we have seen, our Lord clearly affirms His oneness with the Father, their consubstantiality, the integral community of nature and goods which the Son has received from the Father, unique principle. He clearly affirms this, and nowhere more clearly than in His magnificent sacerdotal prayer, which we should read often. How rich it is, so consoling and so beautiful. The first paragraph, undoubtedly the most beautiful, is like a glance at the Blessed Trinity itself. These things Jesus spoke, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he may give eternal life to all whom thou hast given him. John 17, 1-2 Our Lord thus asks his Father to give him the glory which he himself has given to his Father while he has been on earth, glory which he has also communicated to those whom the Father has given to him. This refers to all of those who have been his faithful disciples, and consequently this applies to us too. Truly these are words of eternity admirable words which truly reveal who our Lord really is, the eternal Son of the Father. In this passage the word glory is constantly on our Lord's lips. It is the word which captures or sums up what the Church believes and has always taught about eternity and heaven, about the Blessed Trinity. In the course of our prayers we constantly repeat Gloria Patri et Filio et Spiritui Sancto, Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. We end the recitation of each psalm by Gloria Patri et Filio et Spiritui Sancto, making it more solemn and posed, because this prayer is the best thing that we have to say to the good God. Glory be to you. What does this glory signify? Indeed, it is difficult to define because it pertains to something eternal which is proper to God himself, and because the divine nature remains for us a great mystery. Still, I believe that we can say that this glory, this splendor, the honor which is due God, comes from the richness of the divine being which contains all, which is the author of all, which is almighty, eternal, which is an infinite intelligence an infinite spirit. This spiritual radiance also has effects upon the body. Our Lord manifested it in his body during the transfiguration, Matthew 17, 1-9. Evidently, it is especially a question of spiritual glory. Our Lord himself says, Now this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. John 17.3 Of course, we must not try to conjure up in our imaginations glorious rays of light such as the apostles saw during the transfiguration, but a spiritual radiance very much more profound, intimate, richer than this purely physical light. 
Our Lord asks that he receive back the glory that he had before the world existed. In fact, our Lord never lost that glory during his life on earth. Simply, he did not allow it to shine forth in his body. Possessing the beatific vision and being the Son of God, our Lord did not cease to be in the bosom of the Blessed Trinity, possessing the most perfect happiness in his whole soul, his mind, his understanding, his will, and in his heart. It must not be thought for an instant that the Son failed to give glory to his Father, or that the Father failed to communicate his glory to the Son. Yet, for the Apostles, our Lord did not appear on earth in glory. He prays his Father to give him this corporal glory by means of the resurrection. It is about this that St. Thomas Aquinas talks when he asks why it can be said of the Lord that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. He treats of the question under four points. Number one, whether Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Number two, whether this belongs to him according to the divine nature. Number three, whether it belongs to him according to his human nature. Number four, whether it is something that is proper to Christ. Summa Theologica, Part 3, Question 58, Articles 1 to 4. For St. Thomas, and following the teaching of St. John Damascene, by the right hand is meant the glory of the divinity. Hence, to sit on the right hand of the Father is nothing else than to share in the glory of the Godhead with the Father, and to possess beatitude and judiciary power, and that unchangeably and royally. But this belongs to the Son as God. Article 2 This sitting of Christ at the right hand of the Father can also be taken to mean the dignity communicated to the human nature of Jesus by the grace of personal union or better, as being according to habitual grace, which is more fully in Christ than in all other creatures, so much so that human nature in Christ is more blessed than all other creatures, and possesses over all other creatures royal and judiciary power. Article 3. St. Thomas can then sum up and conclude, Christ is said to sit at the Father's right hand inasmuch as he is on equality with the Father in respect of his divine nature, while in respect of his humanity, he excels all creatures in the possession of divine gifts. Each of these belongs exclusively to Christ. Consequently, it belongs to no one else, angel or man, but to Christ alone, to sit at the right hand of the Father. Article 4 he adds one further consideration. Since Christ is our head, then what was bestowed on Christ is bestowed on us through him. And on this account, since he is already raised up, the apostle says that God has, so to speak, raised us up together with him. Still, we ourselves are not raised up yet, but we are to be raised up according to Romans 8.11. He who raised up Jesus from the dead shall quicken also your mortal bodies. And after the same manner of speech, the apostle adds that he has made us to sit together with him in the heavenly places, namely for the very reason that Christ our head sits there. Think then, 
If we cannot aspire to sit at the right hand of the Father because we are but poor creatures, nevertheless, through Christ who is the head of the mystical body, we can have this privilege. Father Servion remarks, Whoever reads attentively the elevations contained in the sacerdotal prayer cannot but perceive the feeling of profound unity with the Father which the Lord possessed. The source of this perfect communion, which is expressed by the gift of the divine name and glory, is the love which is in God, which is poured forth firstly upon the only Son, so as to extend by him to other children of God. We are able to grasp the full import of the titles given to this Son, the Beloved, the Only Begotten. While the term consubstantial seems too technical and philosophical to us, yet it is the only one that fits. It is because of his consubstantiality with the Father that all this glory is given him, and that the Son truly shares in all the attributes of the Father. On the subject of the glory of the Lord, Father Sauvé wrote in his work Jésus Intime, Heaven will be nothing other than the complete development and full flowering of the glory of Jesus. If we wish to take in this very important truth, which should give us a true notion of our Lord and also of our eternal union with him, and of our eternal dependence upon him, then we must consider it with faith and love according to its different aspects. Father Sauvé then passes in review all the titles by which the Lord possesses this glory and communicates it to us, precisely because as man he is the head of the church triumphant, as well as, and even more perfectly than, head of the church on earth and in purgatory. As the divinity and the holy soul of our Lord developed his body during the course of his childhood and youth, with admirable perfection, by means of their eternal influence upon him, so also his sacred humanity, over the course of time, develops his mystical body, vivifying it and sanctifying it on earth, purifying it here below and in purgatory, while waiting for the coming of eternity, when it will animate the mystical body more perfectly and glorify it and beatify it forever. Heaven will be nothing other than Jesus filling all the saints with his own life, his joy, and his glory. He will be all in all. 1 Corinthians 15.28 These are beautiful passages which show how our Lord, in his glorious humanity, communicates to us the glory he has received from his Father. O Jesus, how the role of thy sacred humanity fills me with joy. After having been my food here below, it will be, with thy divinity, my life and my glory for eternity. How immense my folly would be were I to fail to draw now from this inexhaustible spring of grace and charity, every day and at each hour, and especially at the most fruitful moment of the sacraments, of Holy Communion, of absolution, so as to be able one day to possess more abundantly in heaven eternal glory and love. Jesus, the object of eternal delight of all the saints, Jesus, the model and source of glory, will be at the same time, by his sacrifice, the soul of their adorations, praise, and thanksgiving. 
So much, then, are we able to say about the glory of our Lord, and the participation of it, which we shall, let us hope, enjoy in heaven. Amen.